Welcome everybody to this episode of the ISI Life Podcast. Today we sit down with Don Hall and really focus on the center of the wheel, the faith element that incorporates into all the other areas. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Stay sharp, everyone. We are here today with Don Hall. And Don, I don't know if you know this, but um, the ripple effect that you've had, uh, you actually mentored a gentleman named Sean Moorhead. And uh, Sean and I spent three or four years together meeting up about once a week at Panera Bread and uh, going through Operation Timothy. And I think you were the precursor or one of the precursors to that ordained meeting. So um, hmm. it's amazing to see how your, uh, your ripple effect and your consistency has um, made a huge impact, not only in my life, but in others along the way. Well, sometimes that's encouraging, but uh, also scary. <laughs> that's awesome so for those of for those of us that don't uh know you or are super familiar with your background maybe you can give us a little bit of a walk down memory lane and uh, bring us up to current state well i uh way back uh when i was 30 30 years old uh on a planet far far away <laughs> in a time long long ago another galaxy uh I was a young lawyer trying to build my practice and a young businessman who was a potential client got interested in me and uh, started taking me to lunch and I didn't like him that much but I was trying to build a business <laughs> and he's a potential client so I, I knew he was quote religious, did not interest me at all. But I thought, what religious thing can happen at lunch? So uh, yeah. we went to lunch and went to hockey games, and uh, he began to show me in the Bible uh, the person of Jesus Christ. And I had been driven to want to be successful as a teenager, and now at 30 years of age, I wanted to be popular and successful also. And in, in my business and my career so I could make money. And he showed me something entire, entirely different and uh, uh, found in Jesus Christ a new meaning, new purpose in life, and it changed my whole direction. So I discovered that uh, God had called me to his plan, his purpose, his mission, and I no longer had to worry about trying to accomplish my own agenda, which... Uh, who knows where that would have taken me, but it was taking me the wrong direction. Yeah, certainly wouldn't have probably brought you here to this meeting. So that first year, he took me to a CBMC meeting. This was 50-some years ago, and uh, that made all the difference. I got in, interested in CBMC in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then later ended up in Pittsburgh, where I was active in CBMC, and now here in Cleveland, Ohio, I've been active for 35 years. Oh, that's amazing. And that's how we got connected was I filled out a card at the leadership prayer breakfast and Sean followed up with me. And um, I'm sure that was uh, something that you had your hand in. Yeah, we got to work on the, uh, when, when Mayor Voinovich decided he wanted to have a mayor's prayer breakfast like the presidential prayer breakfast <laughs> in Washington, they asked the CBMC to organize it and put it on. And we did the very first one. And, uh, now it's there's almost 30 years. We've done almost 30 now, wow. every, every year. But we changed the name to Leadership Prayer Breakfast because mayors changed and we took politics out of it. 
Yeah, it's been an amazing once-a-year event. It's uh, coming up here soon in 2019. It's always an event I look forward to, for sure. We, um, you know, one of the things I think is amazing is your enthusiasm. Um, after all these years and all mm. these people that you've met with and an amazing business career and um, all the time going through Operation Timothy and discipling, what, how do you keep the enthusiasm alive after all this time? Well, I don't know. I, I think uh, the secret to, to uh, staying focused is by uh, spending time in the Bible. It's amazing how we can, sort of like a kid learning to ride a bike, uh, uh, I get the training wheels and I can go on the bike for a while and can tell my parents to leave me alone. I know how to do this. And then they take the training wheels off and I have to learn some more and then I tell them, leave me alone. I know how to do this. <laughs> Once you become a Christian, you start going to church and you get into the routine, you, you, we, we have an enemy who will try and deceive us and detract us and will think, you know the drill, you just, this is the Christian life, and, and we zone out, we plateau. Mm. And if you're not reading the Bible or studying the Bible or memorizing scripture or listening to God, uh, you can pretty much begin to take a human viewpoint towards how to be a Christian and what the Christian life's all about. You know the drill. You can go through it uh, without much effort, and you fall back to living the Christian life pretty much the way you lived your life before you were a Christian. In mm -hmm. other words, just doing your best, trying, trying mm -hmm. hard. Maybe go to church more when you have tough times. Sure. Uh, pray a little more, but you you lose the vitality of getting to know God and His particular purpose for you and His direction every day. And I think listening to God, spending time in the Bible, is the only thing that keeps me keeps you keeps me uh, enthused, enthusiastic about the fact that every day is the Lord's day and He's got a plan for that day. Yeah, that is the ultimate encouragement. Yeah, that's um, and y you've mentioned. Um, I know a couple times when I've heard you speak and just one-on-one, -on -one, the, the power of, of Bible memory and memory verses. And I know that was a thing earlier on that for you was, was strong. And I was just curious if you want to talk about how the impact that that made on your life. Well, I was a brand new Christian. I joined the church that this fellow went to who had been witnessing to me. And a friend of mine I knew, actually he was an acquaintance, but I had known him. Uh, his, he was a doctor, a, a cardiologist. He was two years younger than me, behind me in high school two years. Uh, his father had been my mother's doctor, and he came up to me in church that first day that I uh, went to the church and sort of welcomed me. Uh, he understood I was a new Christian, and he said, Don, I want to challenge you to a program I'm doing, and I need a partner. Uh, he says it's a Bible memory program. And I thought, well, why not? I was open to anything. Uh, so he got me in a program where we would learn seven verses a week, basically a verse a day. Verse a day, yeah. And, and each week we would hear each other's verses, recite each other's verses, and keep each other accountable. And at the end of uh, 15 weeks, we would know 105 verses. Were you guys all doing the same ones together? Doing the same verses together. Okay. And he would say his verses, I would say mine to him each Sunday. And after 15 weeks, we knew 105 verses, not that well, but because we, we had been on a cram course. But then we would spend the, the other 
what, 37 weeks of the year reviewing those 105 verses. Mm. So at the end of the year, we knew 105 verses. Wow. And that was uh, just the start of year, year number one in that memory program. But because the, the memory program had verses scattered throughout the Bible, I began to, to learn different books of the Bible uh, because these verses were scattered from throughout the Bible. So I began to uh, you know, read the context around the verse that I was learning. Hmm. And it helped me begin to get a picture of the whole Bible. And uh, it's probably the most important thing that anybody did for me as a young Christian was to get me into the Scripture Memory Program. Yeah, and challenge you appropriately. Sounds like you like a good challenge. And I was hearing from God every day with these verses I was reciting and uh, going over in my mind. Do you find yourself, what, what was your method of memorizing them? Was it, uh, would you write them out? Would you just repeat them? How did you find it helpful? Actually, they came in a little booklet. Okay. I happen to have one here. Did you really? <laughs> and uh, I'm still using this booklet. Uh, I've had to get a second copy. I've worn some out. But here it is uh, 50 years later. There's seven verses on a page. Wow. And I would learn them, uh, those seven verses. And they're divided by subtopics, so they, it gives you some uh, cohesiveness. Uh, okay. Uh, this is book number two in that series. It's called Walk in the Light. So this is 15 chapters of verses that relate to uh, walking with God on a daily basis. Wow. So you just work your way through. I love that you have it with you, right, in your front pocket. Uh, do you take that with you everywhere you go? Is that always well, with you? Well, a, a lot of times I do. Yeah. These are verses that I'm still reviewing now 50 years later. Yeah. I love that idea about that you guys front-loaded it and really focused on it and then spent so much time reviewing it. Um, I do my own Bible memory and I tend to just kind of pace it out without mm -hmm. heavily investing in memorization and then a separate function of, you know, repeating and revisiting what it is I've learned. So. Well, there's another system where you learn two verses a week for a year. Okay. So that you end up with 104 verses at the end of the year, same number of verses, basically. Mm -hmm. That's just a different system. And that system uses cards. It's called the Navigator Topical Memory System. Navigator. Okay. And I tried that uh, a couple of times, but shuffling the cards, I kept getting confused. And <laughs> I liked using the little booklet because the book, the verses were on the same page every day. So what works for me, other guys have used the card system, and it works for them. And the important thing is to be memorizing Scripture because you can't memorize, uh, excuse me, you can't meditate on the Scriptures uh, when you're driving or, or off by yourself. With the, you don't have your Bible open. You can't meditate on something you don't know. Mm -hmm. So memorizing scripture gives you something to meditate on and listen to God's word and helps. You know, we need to realize that uh, walking with God is a two-way conversation. And the Bible is his half the conversation and my prayer uh, is my half the conversation. And you can't carry on a relationship with God if, if you don't have both halves of the conversation, listening to his word and, mm -hmm. and praying it back to him and claiming his promises and having this dialogue. So a Christian who's not reading his Bible or studying his Bible or going to Bible classes or having an interest in the Bible is really, uh, he's not walking with God. He's walking by himself because mm. he's not listening. Yeah, for for you um, in that in that walk and in that meditation or time with God there, where you're downloading from from God and you're also uploading. What does it look like for you? Is it um, is it throughout the day, just ongoing, twenty four seven? Do you have specific times that you know that are built into your day, morning, noon, or night that that you spend time intentionally with God, or is it just kind of always? 
Uh, well, you, you develop a routine. Uh, my wife and I uh, drive to Oklahoma uh, <laughs> once a year. We like to take uh, car trips. Uh, we've done that for uh, next month. It'll be 60 years that we've been married. And we've been taking car trips most of that time. Seldom fly anywhere. Uh, when I'm taking a long trip with her, carry on a conversation. Sometimes we're silent, mm -hmm. but I know she's there. I mean, we're not talking continually for 24 hours a day that we're together. Sure. And when I speak to her, I don't have to say Linda. I don't have to call her by her name. She's the only one in the car, so she knows who I'm talking to. Audience and it's much the same way when you're walking with God. Uh, if you memorize Scripture and He's in the forefront of your focus, uh, and you're looking for God's purpose each day, then, then there's going to be prayer about in this conversation I'm having with this guy or in this meeting, business meeting that I'm in, should I speak up or shut up? And if I speak up, what, what creative thing do I have to say that will help the purpose of the meeting mm -hmm. uh, that, will be, that will contribute? Or is this a time when I should shut up and let other people do the talking? And, and uh, uh, there's, there's plenty of license in the Bible for praying in the middle of a conversation. So praying throughout the day, uh, that's if, you, if you're memorizing Scripture or you, you've been studying the Bible so you can reflect on what you've been learning and thinking through the day with God about what you've been learning, asking for wisdom, do I turn left or right here? Uh, what do I do about this business situation? What do I do about this relationship? How do I inspire my wife or how do I uh, deal in this? I'm having an argument with my wife, what's mm -hmm. my role here? <laughs> Uh, or trying to train my kids. Uh, it's a constant practicing the presence of God. And the more you listen to Scripture, uh, but Linda and I also have a routine. When we wake up in the morning, we listen to Vernon McGee. He comes out at 6 o'clock in the morning, and it's a Bible teacher on the radio, 12.20 a.m. in Cleveland. And he goes through the Bible on a five-year schedule, so we've been through the Bible with him now seven or eight times, starting in Pittsburgh, and now we've been in Cleveland 35 years. But we both listen to this same message as he preaches through the Bible on a five-year schedule, and that's just part of our it's routine that she and I have developed. We like to listen to Vernon McGee. Yeah. So she, I married a Texan. She's from Texas. <laughs> Vernon McGee grew up in southern Oklahoma and, and north Texas. So. Uh -huh, so you like the sound of his voice. I got yeah. you. I, I love that, and I love that. Um, such an accomplishment. I'm coming up on uh, our 10th anniversary with my wife, Nancy, and I know you guys are into the 50-plus into the uh, program, and so... I'm assuming Vernon McGee and all those other daily rituals are a big part of that, but I know a lot of the people listening really strive to have loving, long-lasting marriages. What, what have you found to be the cornerstone or some of the things that have made such a successful and long-standing marriage? I think the, uh, both of us uh, being interested in Scripture, neither one of us were Christians when we got married. Mm. I was the party guy. Uh, she grew up in church, taught a Sunday school class, but she uh, did not have a relationship with the Lord. And the first four years of marriage were uh, chaos and disaster. And then she came home one day and announced to me she'd become a Christian. And I didn't know what that was all about, but I didn't want any part of it. And I said, that's fine. You can go to your ladies' meetings, but don't talk to me about it. <laughs> and two years later, uh, I became a Christian. So 
We've been married almost 60 years, but I can tell people when they ask me, I said, they say, how long have you been married, Don? Sometimes I would look at them and say, we've been happily married for 54 years. They say, oh, that's nice. And I say, we've been married for 60. And they say, oh, what's that about? <laughs> but it's uh, uh, it changed my marriage no, when we difference. came to Christ. And then we began to learn about our respective roles. Mm. And, and uh, that was important to us. Can you elaborate on that what, when you talk about roles? And well, early on, uh, my wife went to a Bible study before I was a Christian in Tulsa. And it was taught by the sister of Vaughnette Bright, Bill Bright's wife with Campus Crusade. And she gave my wife some advice about uh, don't nag your husband, don't argue with him, don't hit him in the face with your Christianity. Mm. He doesn't need another mother. And uh, just live your life. And so, you know, it takes two to tango, two to battle. And she quit arguing with me. And it was hard to have a good argument because she quit. She mm. just started smiling and and she would not argue with me, got my attention. Hmm. And when the fellow talked to me about Christianity uh, two years later, mm -hmm. and he used the verse uh, to get my attention where Jesus said in John 10, 10, he came that I might have an abundant life, mm -hmm. a deep, meaningful, purposeful life. I didn't know anybody in my, exist in, my, in my circle who was living a deep, meaningful, purposeful life, except maybe my wife and my mother. Hmm. So it got my attention, and that I decided to listen to this guy because he said Jesus wanted me to have this abundant life. Well, once I came to Christ, I learned that my role was to be the spiritual leader for my wife, and that I was accountable to God, 1 Peter 3, uh, to, to dwell with her according to knowledge. And as the spiritual leader of the household, it was up to me to help her find God's plan for her life. And so now, I, later on, I got interested in discipling men one-on-one, -on -one, besides trying to uh, teach Bible classes or to go to small groups and, and edify our fellow Christians. That's what we're commanded to do, uh, part of our horizontal calling. I saw that I was supposed to uh, dwell with my wife according to knowledge and to be her inspiration mm. and help her find God's plan for her life. Well, that was a big account of you know responsibility that I didn't know that I had, sure. and I learned that. Yeah. And she learned that she's supposed to submit to her husband. I always thought it was interesting. I was commanded to love my wife, and she was just commanded to submit to <laughs> the degree to, to help me. Mm. Uh, and I guess it's because women are designed as responders, and they'll respond to the love of a husband and love him back. Mm. But they're designed to respond, not be the initiators. And I was uh, commanded to learn to love her and, and see if she would respond to my love. Wow. And how did you and maybe how can I and anyone listening in, in terms of helping our wives find that calling and find that purpose? Any, any thoughts or advice on that? Well, First Peter 3 says you're to pray for your wives. Ephesians 5 says you're to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So that's our, she becomes our first responsibility. Mm. And as far as making disciples, we're to help, we're to edify fellow Christians. And it starts with our wife. Uh, the Great Commission says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. Mm -hmm. Well, you do have to be a convert before you're a disciple. So if your wife is not a Christian, 
that certainly that's your first uh, first person to pray about is Lord how do I inspire my wife to want to become a Christian what what's my role here do I just live it before her do I preach at her hmm. do I hit her over the head with it how, do, how am I going to do this and ask God for wisdom to know how do I witness to my wife but once she becomes a Christian then helping edify her by taking her to Bible classes and taking her to to small groups, uh, maybe join a small group in your church, a uh, couples group, introduce her to ladies who maybe some lady will disciple her, will help take her through a discipleship program mm-hmm. so she can become a disciple. Becoming a disciple is just basically is, is learning to respond to God's calling, his upward calling to have a relationship with himself and his horizontal calling to reach out and love your neighbor and love one another and be part of the Great Commission to make disciples. So uh, all these things work together in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can ask for wisdom as to how do I do this and how do I get her into the right relationships? And then how do we together raise our children because we both have a role in that. So much wisdom there. (laughs) There's a lot, but uh, thank you for expanding on that. That is, that's some powerful, powerful stuff. I think that's a big part of what we're all trying to do is have have faith at the the center of our wheel of life. That's one of the concepts of ISI is we don't want our faith compartmentalized to one part of the pie, but really to be the center, you know, the hub and um, connected into our family and our key relationships, as well as the other other areas that we focus on. And um, I know a lot of the a lot of the men that, that came to the retreat. There some are married, some are not, but the uh, the encouragement of being the spiritual leader in our household is I mean, such a strong one. And uh, speaking of the retreat that you came to back in January, I know you um, you noticed one of the one of the things about your your talk was that a lot of the people in the room I would say are have drive and they're driven to succeed and they want to you know be the best version of themselves. And your talk um, and some of the the notes you were talking about the being the difference between being driven and being called and. I found that that distinction very powerful. So I was hoping you could elaborate on the difference between those two. Well, the Bible says that we have an old sin nature even when we're born again and have a new nature. We still have the old sin nature. And before we were Christians, all we had was an, a, an old selfish nature. Or somebody, some people call it the old sin nature. Self, the old nature is selfish. That's all it ever is. It's always selfish, me first. Mm. Everything is about me. And even my good humanitarian desires to help humanity, uh, usually I can find a selfish pride somewhere behind that uh, so-called good motive. So the old nature is driven to be popular, to be dynamic, to be successful. That was me as a teenager. But when I was 30 years old, I was driven to be popular and successful and to be successful in my career and be looked up to by uh, uh, other people. And now it, uh, in my 80s, uh, that old nature still wants to be successful and popular and, and uh, looked up to by other people. And it's, it's the me first attitude and that's the old sin nature we all have as Christians. We still retain it. So I can either be driven by that old nature and my pride to be the person that I want to be according to my agenda uh, so people will look up to me and that I'll be self-reliant and have the money, maybe be successful in business, have enough money. I don't have to trust God if I have money. And as long as I have good health, of course, I have to trust Him for that. But 
hopefully that I won't need that, <laughs> although today I do. Uh, in the secular world, successful people are said to be driven, whether they're athletes or businessmen. If they're successful, we say he's a driven man. Hmm. But in the Bible, it's full of the idea that God calls us. There's a, hor there's a vertical calling. God calls us to himself, calls us to be holy, calls us to be like him calls us to be one with Christ. He's calling me to become the man that God wants me to be, uh, uh, a holy, compassionate, loving ambassador for Christ. But then there's a horizontal calling. So you can think of this as a four-lane highway. Uh, sometimes I like to look at it this way. That's the Christian life. Once I come to Christ as my savior, get my sins forgiven, my criminal record is expunged, and that's the greatest thing that happens to me is I lose my criminal record. <laughs> clean, get, clean slate. Somebody has said that in, only in Christianity and Monopoly do you get to go back to go <laughs> mm -hmm. and start over. You mm -hmm. get a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's Jesus Christ. And when you discover Him and He's there for you, and you claim Him as your Savior, you get to go back to go and start over. Mm -hmm. And, of course, every time a Christian who blows it and gets off the reservation and, and sins, every time he confesses his sins, he gets to go back to go and start over. He may have to suffer the consequences of some past sins if God doesn't relieve him of those consequences, but nevertheless, I can start over every day mm. with God. He, he forgives that many times. So my actually uh, starting over and responding to God's call. Mm -hmm. Well, he says, Ephesians 4, 1, you, we wanna walk worthy of our calling. Uh, uh, he says that he has a plan for us to be involved in the edification process in Ephesians 4, that we're, the body is to edify itself. Uh, so the four-lane highway is love God. That's your first lane. Uh, when they ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Second lane, love your neighbor as yourself. And your neighbor would include all those unbelievers you're surrounded with. Mm-hmm. Uh, third lane, uh, over 70 times in the New Testament, he says, love one another, fellow Christians, as I have loved you. Over 70 times, and I don't know how many times God has to tell me that for me to get the message, but over 70, one another's. Uh, forgive one another, edify one another, build up one another, help one another, comfort one another, all the one another's. But a lot of them say to build up one another. Mm. And then the fourth one that, that to me is so pointed is he, the last command he gave was to go, as you go through the world, make disciples yeah. and teaching them everything Jesus thought, uh, taught the disciples. So that's a four lane highway, love God. That's the, the vertical calling is the most important. We have to get that right. And then, then we can love our neighbor, love one another and go and make disciples. But those uh, four, the, 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 the last three lanes teach us that God is in the people business. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son for the people in the world. So God's in the people business. He's not in these other businesses. They're ancillary, collateral, uh, the automobile business, the law business, the steel business, uh, the t-shirt business, all these businesses God is in, but his primary purpose is that he's in the people business. And if I'm not in the people business, I'm probably out of my lane. I'm, I'm driving out of my lane. I'm off I'm off the highway, and I, I'm not an ATV. I'm, I'm designed to drive on God's highway. Sure. Uh, 
cars are designed to drive on, on the highway, and your nice sedan won't operate very well if you drive off into the field and get off the road. So the Christian living on those four lanes, to me, that, that's, that's my calling. God's calling me uh, horizontally to love God, mm -hmm. excuse me, vertically, to love God, horizontally love my neighbor, one another, and, and the Great Commission. And that's my purpose in life. And so every day, God's going to have me involved in one of those four lanes somehow. Hmm. I love that. The concept of the vertical calling and the horizontal calling is very... It's a great visual, as well as the monopoly. I feel like I've had a, a couple different examples of um, monopoly as it relates to our faith. And um, another one that uh, Ken Blanchard shared, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago when I heard him talk, was that the Christian life is a lot like uh, monopoly. And at the end of the day, it all goes back in the box. And talking about the, um, the living your life on purpose and living yeah. to that calling. Yeah. Making sure that you're making uh, you know a use out of what you're doing and how you're spending your time and energy. And more funerals you go to. I mean, you get to be my age. You've gone to a lot of funerals, and you see people. You see the box there. Mm. Everybody goes back in the box at the end, and uh, it's tragic to go to a child's funeral, a young person's funeral, a three-year-old, a five-year-old, or an eighteen-year-old. And I've been to some of those in there. There's more weeping goes on at those. But just as tragic, I think, is to find somebody who's lived to be 80-something 80, 80 or 90-something mm. that has a wasted life, to, to look back over a wasted life. I don't know anything more tragic than that. Mm. And for us to find our calling, uh, God says we have a calling. And we're to strive to live worthy, Ephesians 4.1, to walk worthy of that calling, that vocation God's called us to, which is to be a disciple. It's not just our... Our, our secular calling as to what job you're in, but we're called first to be a disciple and to follow him, to walk, to follow his steps. And this, we walk by, by faith and not by sight. And this calling is a, is a walking in God's calling. So responding to his calling, I think, is every day of our Christian life. This is a loaded question, but is there a, a way for us to know if we are doing what he has called us to do any any evidence or things that might be happening in our lives or feelings we might be having or kind of reassurance of that we are actually doing what he's called us to do i think there is and as you as you read your bible and and uh take john seventeen seventeen for example where jesus says uh, uh he asked the father to take you and me and make us holy, sanctify us, change our lives through the scriptures. Mm. He says, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Uh, as I read my Bible and say in John 17, his prayer is that we might become one with the Father, just as the disciples might become one, that you and I might become one with him. And for us becoming one with God's purpose in our life, uh, Sometimes it helps to take the, the marriage chapter uh, that you always hear at a wedding, mm -hmm. uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and to examine your life. Several times in 1 Corinthians we're told to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, to see if we're in His calling. Mm -hmm. And to take verse uh, chapter 13, which tells us all the things that love is, that love is patient and love doesn't keep a track of uh, sins and, and uh, all those things. Uh, to see, is that the way I'm treating my relationships? Is there anybody in my life where I haven't forgiven them? Mm -hmm. 
Is there anybody in my life where I haven't been praying for them? I haven't been loving them with a, with a pure heart? Uh, am I being authentic in my relationships as far as uh, being an ambassador for Christ who deals with them like Christ would in a forgiving, compassionate way? Or uh, do I have different attitudes in my different relationships that are not Christ-like? But sometimes take 1 Corinthians 13, uh, take James uh, 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 the 4th, is it 413, the wisdom? No, it's four, uh, three, uh, 317, the wisdom that is from above is first pure and gentle, peaceable, easy to be entreated. Examine myself to see how I live uh, with those uh, scriptures. Am I really walking with Christ and, and having his attitude towards other people? Hmm. So if we're living according to those, those scriptures, we can, we can go through those different verses and examine it and really do some self-reflection and see that we are living in it. That's a good sign that we're, we are living up to his calling. Yeah. I love that. And the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit has always been a, a verse that has ring in my head. And that, that's one way for me to, to know if I am living a life like that. And... Um, that helps. So the fruit of the Spirit we know is love, joy, peace, but sometimes I use that as a barometer. Mm. That if I don't see my, in my different relationships that I love this person, if I have an enemy or somebody I'm judgmental about or critical of, then I'm not loving them. Or the easy one is if I've lost my joy. Mm. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience. If I've lost my joy mm. or my patience with somebody, that means I'm not being led by the Spirit. Mm. So I need to con confess something there, my, confess my sin, and let him fill me again with his spirit. So that I, you know, Paul had joy even when he was in prison. He could rejoice, and he wrote Philippians from prison, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Hmm. So having the joy of the spirit is important. That's a, I agree, and uh, I want as much of it as I can possibly get. <laughs> I uh, I want to. He just seemed like one of those guys who have always had things working and always been very intentional and very successful and always making a big big impact wherever you go. Has there when you look back, um, have there been any big moments where you really had a huge learning moment or moments where you really failed forward that you can look back on and were really pivotal that that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? Um. I'm trying to think offhand. I can remember times in my life when I wondered what God was doing, and I thought, you know, somehow he must have made a mistake because I could not see mm. anything good about my circumstance at the time. Uh, I remember uh, once I always encouraged guys, uh, don't quit your job uh, until you have another one that's mm. been offered to you. First uh, Corinthians 7 it says several times to remain in your calling that you were in when when you became a Christian. Hmm. Remain in that calling until God moves you. Hmm. In First Corinthians seven, it talks about if you're single, remain single until God decides you should get married. If you're a, a slave uh, in those days, uh, don't yearn to be made free unless God calls you to be free. And uh, if you're Jewish, don't 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 yearn to be a, a a Gentile uh, until God God moves you. So you, the the point was mm -hmm. to remain in your calling until God moves you. So 
recognizing as you study the Bible that God is sovereign in whatever circumstance you're in, uh, I had to realize and God put me in this circumstance. Mm-hmm. He has a plan and a purpose that, that I'm here. And I remember one time when they, uh, our company was headed towards bankruptcy and they gave me, uh, they laid off several lawyers that day and they had to pack their desk, you know, clean up their desk mm-hmm. and, and take their stuff and go home. They were through. But because I'd been around so long, they gave me six months notice and said, Don, uh, we're gonna have to lay you off in six months. Uh, so I, at first I thought, well, God, what do I do now? I hear I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. I'm from Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, am, am I gonna be cast loose? What, where am I gonna find the next job? But then it dawned on me, well, I don't have to pray about this. I've told guys how they should pray before they leave a job where God has called them, Hmm. that you've got to be sure he's calling you someplace else before you quit this job. You don't leave something God called you to just because you're upset over the day or you don't like your boss. I had several bosses I wasn't that appreciative of. (laughs) Uh, But this was a decision I didn't have to pray about. Hmm. So I thought, that's easy. Now I just have to pray about what's next. next, And I've got six months to pray through it. And then uh, about four months into the six months, they said, we've changed our mind. We're not going to lay you off after all. But because of I found out about when my retirement would start and insurance would kick in and those kind of things, I had asked the personnel department, well, if I didn't, if I did not, uh, if I wasn't being laid off, when would my retirement day be? Sure. And they told me, and it was a day that uh, later on, three years later, when the company was going into Chapter 11, and they were moving all the lawyers from one corporate payroll to a different corporate payroll, and it was changing the retirement plans, oh. I found out that that one day was critical, and it gave me a time to leave the steel company mm. with a full pension and with full medical coverage uh, because they were going to lay me off and give me six months salary continuance, and I went to them and I said, the day you transfer me to this new payroll, is going to be six months from my magic retirement date, when I would, and I under the old corporation I, I get benefits, and and uh, under the new corporation I don't. So since you were going to lay me off before, hmm. if you gave me a six months salary continuance now on this date, the day before the transfer, then I could retire and have full medical coverage, hmm. and uh, they couldn't believe I had one day that affected me and nobody else in the whole company. Really? Based on the day that I went to work and based on the day I was born, when my salary, when my age and my service reached a magic 80, 80 years exactly, that was that, that day. So it applied to me and nobody else in the company and I could see that God was using this and he had used that six months notice. I'd gotten three years earlier when I thought I was gonna be laid off. He'd used that to caused me to learn what this magic 80 day was. And it happened to be six months from exactly from the date they were gonna transfer me to a different payroll. So God always has a plan. Hmm. And knowing that God has called us, I think before we quit talking, the the one thing that I was, that I was uh, really wanted to share at the ISI retreat was this idea about uh, God puts us on a candlestick mm. and he decides where the candlestick is. Matthew 5 says, we're the light of the world. And he uses that illustration. He says that a city on a hill cannot be hid because everybody can see the lights. 
Well, neither do men light a candle and, and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, so it gives light to all in the house. Well, in that illustration, God is the one pl placing the candlesticks where he wants them. Hmm. And each one of us, he says, is, is part of the light of the world. And he's placed us someplace in our, in our circle of friends and family, and he's had us be born in Cleveland, Ohio, or Tulsa, Oklahoma, in my case, mm -hmm. Houston, Texas, in my wife's case. Uh, and he sovereignly placed us where we are today, and that's our mission field. Each one of us has a mission field. We don't have to go someplace to find it. Mm -hmm. We're already in it. Mm -hmm. And I, I use the illustration that, I, that sticks in my mind because it's hard to get, get it out of your mind. Have you ever seen a turtle on a fence post? <laughs> and I, I love this illustration. I read it somewhere. Mm -hmm. But what do you notice when you see a turtle on a fence post, if you ever did? Well, you would know that someone placed it there. That turtle didn't get there by himself. Yeah, it was intentional. We are like that. We are a candle on a candlestick. How did we get there? Well, God placed us in, in the particular household or mission field that we're in. Hmm. And that's my mission field. God has called me to be a light in that mission field. So I'm not going to change jobs or change cities without praying about it. Because hmm. if God doesn't move me, then I don't want to move. I love that. Yeah. And there's peace and comfort knowing that God has you right where he wants you to be. Um, even if you don't understand it in the moment. For each one of us. If, even if I came here and I made a mistake yesterday to come where I am today, mm -hmm. uh, if I will confess that, and God says, you can start fresh with me. Go back to go. Okay. Go back to go. Here's Every day, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. uh, this puts you back to go. Only with God is this possible unless you're playing Monopoly. <laughs> I love it. That's such a powerful, powerful example. I love the imagery that you use. It's a powerful way to teach the Monopoly and the candlestick and the turtle on a fence post. It's a... Very powerful. At least for me, I'm a very visual person, so I, I Yeah, I can that see that sure. turtle on the fence. In Oklahoma, we had terrapins, um, <laughs> box turtles. Okay. You know, they're about six inches long. But if you put one of those on a... I, I put a lot of fence posts <laughs> in my brother's farm. I pounded a lot of those posts and dug the post holes. But if you put a turtle on a fence post, you, you know somebody put it there. By purpose and by design, I love that. Well, as we as we kind of start to bring things to a close here, I think um, some of the things I'd love to touch on. I've been asking everybody that has come on the podcast is some of the. Uh, you have any must-do habits that you have found to be just cornerstones of of your life and things that you have to do, or else you feel out of balance or out of kilter. Do you have any of those things? Well, uh, several things. Uh, Quite often I'm guilty of telling guys, if you really want to learn the Bible, then volunteer to teach a Bible class. <laughs> because the teacher of a Bible class always learns more than the students. So if the church you go to or the group you're in has Bible classes, or if, if that church doesn't have a Bible class, volunteer to start one. Uh, but if you will teach uh, a book in the Bible, Galatians, Philippians, Romans, one of the Gospels, uh, you'll begin to study the Bible. You'll have to on a regular basis because you've got a class coming yeah, up this Sunday up. or whenever your next uh, meeting is, Wednesday night. Sure. Uh, it's going to force you to learn the Bible. Uh, so that's a, a good exercise in self-motivation mm. 
is volunteer to teach a Bible study or volunteer to lead a small group for a period of time where you'll have to do some study. Mm. But beyond that, if you can develop the discipline of getting into your Bible once a day, Mm. some people think a quiet time is when you go take your nap. (laughs) But uh, to have a quiet time, if you're a morning person in the morning or if you're a night person at night, but to find a time during the day when you get alone with your Bible and uh, just read something devotionally and let God speak to you and learn to pray with your Bible open. Hmm. Uh, you may have uh, been able to, carry, to, to write a journal, mm-hmm. keep a journal. Some people find that to be very helpful each day to write in a journal. What am I learning today from God's Word and what happened to me today? Uh, and what should I be praying for? Did God show up during my business meeting? Did he give me an idea that was that I could contribute, hmm. that was profitable, that helped us solve a problem? Or did God uh, speak to me while I was having a conversation with, with somebody about how to handle this relationship? Hmm. Uh, whatever comes up in your journal, it'll help you focus each day on what's God doing in my life and am I learning anything? Hmm. So journaling, Bible reading, hmm. Uh, but scripture memory, if you'll take on the challenge of, I'm going to memorize so many verses. They're, they're on, online, there's lots of scripture memory programs available. Mm-hmm. Huh. I, I use the one from Bible Memory Association. Okay. And the, the uh, books are out of date. I mean, they're King James. But uh, you can make your own books as far as writing the scriptures mm-hmm. down. Put them on a piece of paper, that uh, seven verses for a week. And, and get them uh, in your translation. But like you have to make the decision to be intentional about your Christian life. I really believe this is when you begin to take ownership. Until, you're, uh, until you take ownership of your Christian life and become intentional, then it's sort of like uh, instead of buying a car, you're just renting one. Mm-hmm. And you don't take care of a rental car like you will your own car. When you take ownership of your own car, and you start washing it, and you make sure you change the oil every 3,000 or 5,000 miles, uh, you pay attention to the owner's manual when you take ownership of a car. Well, until you take ownership of your Christian life, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is just going to be for other people to present your body a living sacrifice. But when you take ownership, that means every day you're going to be paying attention. Does your your vehicle have gas in it? Uh, Yeah, you're not just drifting. You're actually being in intentional and ownership mindset versus a rental mindset. That's yeah, you, you will drift, as you say, otherwise, unless you take ownership of your Christian life, you will drift. I love that. When, you're, when you mentioned journaling, I think that's um, a topic that a lot of people talk about now. Have you found a certain way to journal that, that's been effective for you? I'm not a journalist, not, not a journal. <laughs> but I know lots of friends who found it very valuable. That's why I suggest it. They, okay. they found it very helpful. I've, I've used scripture memory uh, mm-hmm. probably in a way that some people use their journal. Sure. Yeah. But I think when you journal, you're reflecting on what God is showing you, what God is doing in your life, and it causes you to reflect on the scripture you've been learning and what's God doing in relation to that scripture. Hmm. The, uh, the need to be able to have I don't really journal. Uh, occasionally I will, but I think the practice of doing it would be powerful, and especially to go back... I think it would be fun for to go be able to go back and at a point in time and look at what was going on in my head and my heart, you know, five years ago. 
um, or maybe before we had kids or when we just had the kids and you know those different points in time how, how neat that would be to see how God was working in my life at, during those different moments well there's another exercise that I don't do but a lot of people recommend but I've seen my wife do it hmm. is she reads through the Bible every year she reads all the way through the Bible and she has a program uh, uh, trying to think of the name of it I can't uh, where she reads through the Bible once a year. Okay. She's done it for over 30 years. I've done it once, hmm. and it was a great, great adventure, hmm. but it's it's not my style. Sure. And scripture memory has been more helpful for me. Yeah, but that seems like... She reads through the Bible every year, and that means she's reading the Bible a lot every day. She has to set apart, she has to take time from other activities sure. to get her Bible reading in. Very... So there's several disciplines that you can adapt, but if you haven't adapted something, uh, then you may not have taken ownership of your Christian life. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. It's, uh, we can. I'll get these uh, maybe some of these notes and uh, specific tools and resources that you're mentioning afterwards, and we'll we'll put them on the website for everybody. But um, one of the things I think is interesting. I'm sure you maybe have multiple, but when we talk about life verses. Is there a one life verse that has been really meaningful to you? Probably a Second Corinthians. Uh, Eight nine. Hmm. Uh, it's about grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be rich. And then Second Corinthians nine eight is like it that says, "There's always enough grace. There's always sufficient grace." But grace, I believe, is the uh, theme of of this age. Hmm. That. Uh, I tell my grandchildren when they get to heaven, they're not going to need oxygen, but the oxygen is going to be God's grace. It's, mm-hmm. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:10 that it's the motivation for his living. He says, I've, I've, I've labored more abundantly than all the apostles, but he's not, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I, the grace is my favorite subject. And mm-hmm. I think... Uh, uh, it's such a powerful term. Just if you want to do a great a word study in your Bible, go through and look at all the verses that have the word grace, and you'll find that power for living, power for being, getting saved is by grace. Mm. Power for living is by grace. Uh, everything is by grace. Wow, that's powerful. Thanks for sharing. That's that's a really powerful word for sure. And uh, I'll add that to my Bible memory verse and for the future. Thank you for sharing. Well. One of the things we wanted to do and um, is just I wanted to personally thank you for uh, your commitment to discipling men. I don't know if you've kept track of how many people you've taken through Operation Timothy or Disciple, but it's got to be it's got to be a, a deep, <laughs> deep role. And I know I've been a been blessed uh, by, you know, like I mentioned, when we first started the, your ripple effect and you've made a huge impact not only in my life, but in Cleveland and, and beyond. So I just want to personally thank you and honor you for that commitment to all of that invested time. You really uh, begin to learn that God is in the people business when you join him mm. and look look for a Timothy. Uh, if you've never had a Paul, if you're young in the Christian life, then you need a Paul to help you get started. And CBMC has an easy way. We have this Operation Timothy. Sure. So it's available online. You don't even have to buy it. It's free online. But I like to buy the books. I like the hard copy. I like to write in the books and so forth. But helping another person, a younger disciple, a younger person younger in the faith than you, helping them grow, 
as you begin to understand growth in your own life, as you study and try to pray about, Lord, how do I help Charlie grow in this area or grow in that area? What should I, what should I emphasize next with Charlie? How do I pray for him? Uh, as you help Charlie uh, or some younger believer grow, you're aware of how, how you're growing or not growing in certain areas in your own life. Hmm. And as you look for verses to encourage him, uh, how to take Second Peter chapter 1 and, and give diligence to add all those virtues to your faith and add those to the promises of God. Uh, or, or as you look at the fruit of the Spirit and you say, how do I, how do I grow here into these, these nine aspects of the filling of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, and so forth. Mm. Uh, the idea of growth. Uh, you, you learn there's three things in the Bible that help you grow, and you're going to help your Timothy grow. is suffering, uh, edifying of other believers, edifying you, building up your faith. But the only one you can control is the Word. Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So... The three areas of growth, suffering, other people edifying us, uh, and that's, of course, our ministry is to edify one another. Mm -hmm. But then the Word of God helps us grow. It's John 17, 17. Uh, Jesus prayed to the Father that He had changed our lives by the Scriptures. Knowing that, the only thing I can control is the time I spend in the Scriptures. But teaching that to a younger believer, a Timothy, so he'll learn this is how he's going to grow is by studying scripture, going to Bible classes, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture, that his faith will grow and God will change his life as he studies and listens to God in his word. That uh, helps you grow when you're helping other people grow. Oh, absolutely. So I would really, uh, it's like you, you help your children grow and then you, then you have the same focus for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. <laughs> we, have, we have seven of each. And it's... Uh, it's wonderful to be able to think in those terms, but physically, I mean, uh, besides your, your literal grandchildren, mm -hmm. the people that God gives you in your life, as you look for someone to help them grow, uh, you, maybe you want to follow the model of Jesus. He, he ministered to the multitudes, but that's where he found the individuals that he discipled. So we see Jesus working with the thousands, feeding 5,000, 3,000, but then after he, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to 500. Uh, there were 120 in the upper room. One time he sent out 70. Another time he sent out the 12. Then he focused on the three, the inner circle. But it was by ministering to the multitudes that he found the individuals. And that's sort of the Christian life, I think, as we learn how to edify one another, teaching Bible classes or going to a small group and encouraging as we encourage one another in small groups, but then as we focus in on an individual that mm -hmm. God has given us in our life to spend time with, Jesus said, you know, it, uh, the greater love has no man than this, John 15, that, than that he lay down his life for his friends. Well, all you have in your life is your time. And as you spend time with people, you're laying your life down for them. Because mm -hmm. time is a limited commodity. Sure. Uh, we only have so many days and then we're done. Yeah. Well, you spend uh, time with somebody, you're laying down your life with them. And that's, you know, of course, life gets tougher. You learn that you think you have problems now that you've got two lives involved in your prayers. 
you've doubled your problems, <laughs> yeah. and then you disciple two or three guys. Now you've really tripled or double, you know, quadrupled your your prayer list. <laughs> uh, but God is able to handle all this, and yeah. you become become an influencer. But if you're if you're involved with other people, then you know you're in God's business. Yeah. If you're not involved with people, you're not involved in God's people business. So you're probably not walking with God. So encouraging. As we as we wrap down here, I want to ask if you wouldn't mind just uh, closing us in a word of prayer. I'd be glad to. Thank you. Father, thank you that uh, as we consider your, your claims on our life, Lord, we want to respond to your calling. We know it's a holy calling. You called us to be holy like you. Uh, you've called us to yourself, but you've also called us to a mission, to a ministry, to love one another, to love our neighbors, and to make disciples. Lord, uh, I just pray that anyone listening to this uh, will, will decide they want to be intentional about their Christian life and take ownership. And Lord, that you'll show them and draw them close to yourself, show them how to do it. I pray all this and pray for each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Don. This has been overflowing and just jam-packed full of amazing, amazing wisdom. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk about it. It's the most important thing in our life. <laughs> All right.